Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. If you guys have your Bibles, go to Luke 24. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be so good. I was in the 9 a.m. I can confirm. It's good. Um... I, uh, I just wanted to uh, throw this out there before we get into this. Um, you know, the, the past uh, couple months, I've had a few opportunities to really get away with the Lord and praying into the new year, praying into the season that we're in. And um, I'm really thankful for those moments because, I don't know, I mean, I think it's all in our best interest that I'm, I can hear God. <laughs> um, and <laughs> and I, I feel like, I just feel really encouraged. I feel really encouraged in the Lord about some stuff that he's doing and stuff that we as a community are about to step into. And um, this is kind of my first message that's been shaped out of that season. Stuff the Lord started speaking to me in in Cancun when I was on um, a holiday with my wife um, and then just recently continued uh, when I got home and then in writing this past uh, couple weeks and very excited for what I believe God's going to do. And so today we're going to be kind of like unveiling some stuff that we're going to be doing. You know, how many of you guys know that sometimes you just got to, God says to do something and you know that he's got to fill it. He's got to show up, but you still got to make place for him. And you just got to be faithful and late before him and go, well, if it's you, then you just got to show up on this thing, you know? And so I got some stuff that we're going to put out there before the Lord. All right. So um, Luke 24, let's read this. So then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, for behold, I send the promises of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city until you've been endued with power from on high. Um, Jesus says, it's been necessary that I, I died. It's been necessary that I shed my blood to create way for repentance, for the remission of sins, and that I would be raised again so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. And he goes, and you have been made witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. witnesses. Of these things that I'm telling you. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. witnesses. We, uh, to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, both of these commissions were given after the resurrection of Jesus. He appears before them and says, listen, you guys have all been made witnesses that I died, I rose again, that my blood was given for the remission of sins and that you've been made witnesses of these things. How many of us know a witness is the pioneer of understanding? A witness is a pioneer of knowledge. A witness is a pioneer of insight. To everybody else, it might be a mystery. To everybody else, it might be unknown. But to a witness, there is a factual, evidential understanding of something that might be a mystery to everybody else, but I'm a pioneer of understanding for you. When I bear witness of something, I'm taking that which you think is unknown and I make it validated. And Jesus says, listen, this is why I've come. This is what was going on. And you guys are witnesses of that. Uh, we, we know um, that our identity as believers is that we are 
We are his beloved. Just who you are, man. You are chosen by his love. You are a child of God, but not just any child, a child that's been chosen in love. You are the prize and the reward of heaven. It says that you are the reward for which he suffered. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are the joy that was set before him. God created you in every faculty of your being, every, uh, every ability to sense, feel, have emotion, to daydream, imagine, to create, to build family, to experience love, to receive love, to experience pain, to uh, exist in suffering, to uh, feel regret. Every emotion in your being was created for the purpose of fellowship and communion with God. There's no experience that you would go through in life that was not created for the purpose of fellowship. Your family is a table of fellowship that God wants to reveal himself to you in. Your children are a table of fellowship that God wants to reveal himself to you in. The suffering that you're walking through is actually a table of fellowship in the presence of enemies. It's a banqueting table of love that he's coming and he wants to reveal himself to you in. Everything that you walk through and every experience and emotion you have is actually a place of encounter because your identity is beloved and your very reason for existence is fellowship with God. All that this life is, is a, is a, is a foretaste of the eternal fellowship that you will have in eternity with God the Father. Isn't that good news? This is who you are. This is what you were created for. But can I also say that without denying that, let me also say that out of that identity and out of that purpose of existence, that you also have an assignment. And that assignment rooted in fellowship, rooted in communion, that assignment is to become a witness to testify of the very nature of God. You exist to commune with God, but your assignment is to bear witness. The whole, um, it, says that, it says that the Holy Spirit, right before in Luke, uh, in Luke 24, right before that in John 20, there is this moment uh, where, where, um, where Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection, and he appears to the disciples, and it says he gathers them together, and he breathes on them. This is hot, super hot, Sorry. He breathes on them and he says, receive my spirit. And he breathes on them. And at that moment, they receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Then after that, it says that he appears to them again. And he says, now wait for it, for the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. You're gonna be endued with power and you will become a witness. Once again, everyone say witness. Now, how many of you guys know that the Holy Spirit is in you for communion, but he's upon you for demonstration? The internal dwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is in you for the purpose of bringing you into fellowship and communion with God, but he's upon you to demonstrate what God's doing in you, outside of you. The Holy Spirit works the cross in you, but the Holy Spirit reveals the cross through you. The Holy Spirit is doing a work. How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit is on a march through your life in every part of your being, bringing everything into obedience to Jesus Christ. 
How many of you guys know that he's doing, he's working the cross, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the work that he's doing in your inner man, the work that he's doing in your spirit. He's taking every thought captive. He's arresting every lie. He's bringing it to truth. He is doing an inner work inside of you. But how many of you guys know that inner work, he's working the cross in you and he's conquering your heart and mind, but he's also coming upon you for the purpose of demonstrating what he's doing in you outside of you that you would become a witness of the inner workings of, of the cross. Your inner life in Christ is meant to be visible to the world around you. In Romans eight nineteen, it says, all creations groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God because all creation is subjective futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected in hope that creation would get delivered into the same liberty as the sons and daughters of God. What does that mean? That means that your liberty is a, is a first fruit to the same liberty that the world is longing and hungering for. And the inner work of liberty that the Holy Spirit's working inside of you is for the purpose of you now becoming a witness and extending the opportunity of liberty to the world around you. You guys with me? Yeah. <clears throat> In Matthew 22, 37, it says, Jesus said to them that you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments saying all the law and the prophets. The question is this, is that in the inner working of the Holy Spirit inside of your life, in the invitation to become a witness to the inner working of the Holy Spirit in your life, the question then becomes is how do we become a witness and how do we demonstrate what God is working in through your life? In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37, uh, it said, this is what it says. Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And, the, and that's the first commandment. The second is just like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hinge all the law and the prophets. The, the question, is, uh, the, the question is, is how do we demonstrate the witness ministry of our life in this area? Jesus presents a model before us in Matthew 22. He's asked the question, Jesus, what's the number one commandment? And Jesus responds to him, he says this. He says, he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. The second is just like it. The second thing is not the first thing. How many commandments was Jesus asked to give? This isn't trick, this isn't, this isn't, this is first grade math. You guys ready? How many, how many, how many, uh, uh, how many commandments did Jesus ask to give? How many did Jesus give? Why did Jesus give two? He, because of this, because the first one is the first one, but the second is not the first one, but they can never be separated. Jesus cannot answer the first by in giving an untruthful answer because the first one is always going to be married to the second one. The second one, uh, the, the second one is always gonna be second place, but it's meant to be married to the first place. The first place is who you're called to be, that you would exist in, in, in perfect union and harmony and relationship and fellowship with God. And the second is just like it, that you would then become a witness to all the people around you, to love the world as, as uh, you love yourself. And then he says this, and upon this hinges all of the law and the prophets. Now, this idea of all of the law and the prophets this was a very, very normal saying among rabbis. It would be like someone saying, hey, I'm sorry you're going through that. And you're saying, that yeah, is what it is. It's like a, a go-to slang term, right? 
This would have been used in the same manner of like a go-to slang term when Jesus says, upon this hinges all the law and the prophets, because what it meant was, it meant this is the core of everything. What Jesus is presenting is everything revolves around this reality, that you would love me with every part of your being, that you would exist to commune with me. And the second would be just like it, that you would reveal that love to the world around you. This is everything. This is the center of it all. This is the core of our existence. And what we have in these passages is our relationship with the Father is central and the source, but it's our relationships and interactions with people that materialize everything that we believe. Can I say that again? Our our relationship with the Father is central in the source, but it's our relationship and interactions with people that materialize everything that we believe. It's the measuring stick of our faith. It's the tangible to our unseen. It's the invisible made visible. It's where faith meets works. It's where rubber meets road. I, I would contend with you that you could say, I understand that God has mercy. But then if you don't know how to demonstrate mercy to the people around you, I would contend you don't actually understand mercy. Like you can say, I understand that God forgives me, but if you can't actually forgive someone in a relationship with you uh, for things that they've done in the past or whatever that thing is, if you can't actually forgive, I would actually say, you probably then don't understand forgiveness. Why? Because whatever God's doing internally will be demonstrated in your relationships externally. Have you guys ever been like in a, or seen somebody who just demonstratively uses shame to control relationships? remind you of the past and, 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 you know, and wage war on people's, um, you know, their strength and, and they're reminding people of their faults and all that kind of stuff in order to manipulate the direction. I would tell you, we could be like, man, those people are so manipulative and they're so this, but I would tell you this, that they probably have no idea the mercy and the kindness of God. Because what they, you think that they're making your life miserable, I promise you right now, their life is way more miserable than they're making your life because they don't understand how much God loves them, cares for them, and he's written a new history over their life. It's making sense to you guys. It, it says this in, in uh, 1 John 4, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The reality is what God is doing in the internal will be the very thing that we, we manifest in the external relationally. You know, there, there's a proverb that says, um, what is done in secret will be brought to the light and what is said in hidden places will be shouted from the rooftops. You know, we've often like, how many of you guys ever heard that scripture? Like whatever, everyone right here. Whatever is done in secret will be brought to the light and whatever is said in, in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. How many of you guys uh, have ever heard that scripture said in a way that like causes you to like, oh no, my hidden sin? Right? Oh, whatever you've done in secret is gonna be brought to the light. You better deal with it in secret. Man, have you probably used that against somebody else? Right? What, what, what if I, I gave you a different perspective on this? Because 
Uh, the reality is, is that you have to sometimes read these confusing passages through the already revealed nature of God and not allow the mysterious verses to explain God. How many of us know that it would be outside of his nature to expose your sin? He wants to deal with it in the hiddenness of your life. But what this scripture is less to do with sin and so much more to do with the fact that God wants to take the inner breakthroughs of secrecy and, and bring them out to public demonstrations of victory. God wants to take the inner workings of, 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 that you have conquered in your life and then bring them to the, to the rooftops and shout the testimony of the Lord of what he's done in your life. What he's gonna reveal in the light is not your sin. He's going to reveal the breakthrough of the cross in your inner man. That he wants to demonstrate to the world around you that your friends don't even realize what God's done in your life and the secret things. You could be one night having an encounter with God, the next night you come in with joy and victory and a lightness upon you and they don't know what happened in secret and God wants to take what happened in secret and shout it from the rooftops. Are you hearing me? I, I, I wanna, this is what it means to be a witness that we take the inner workings of the Holy Spirit and we become witnesses of the goodness of God to the world around us. And I want, I want to talk about two arenas of relationship that God wants to use for his glory. Because there's, there's two, I'm probably going to surprise you with a couple of these, but I want to talk about God showing up in two arenas of relationship. Number one that I want to talk about, God wants to, use the arena of our relationships within the church to demonstrate his glory to the world. It says in, in uh, John 17, it says that right before Jesus went to the cross, um, right before Jesus went to the cross, he, 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 he goes to the Father and he's praying for the disciples, he's praying for the apostles and he goes, Father, I don't just pray for my disciples, but I also pray for those that will believe in your word through them. And I pray, Lord, that they would be one as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be one together in us so that the world would know that you sent me. How many of you guys know that, that the world is longing for covenantal friendships? They're longing for, for family. They're longing for, for, um, they're longing for friendship. They're longing for all these different things. How, how many of you guys know that the that majority of the church cannot offer to the world what they're longing for? Because the reality is that the condition of the church is probably more fragmented than the condition of the world. And sometimes when the world looks at the church, they go, I want nothing to do with that. And, and the reality is, is that if we're going to actually become witnesses of the glory of the Lord, that he's grafting you through salvation into family, that we have to offer to the world a community that's like a family that would be available to them for healing and safety and victory and breakthrough in their life. It says in Psalm 133, it says, Blessed are the brethren who dwell together in unity, for there I command my blessing. In Matthew 18, 19, it says, If you guys would agree on anything, it will be done for you. Did you know that the ability of the inner agreement of relationship will empower your prayer life? Because there's moments that we pray things, you know, God send revival to central Maine. And we say yes and amen to the words, but we don't say yes and amen to the person that's praying it. And the inner conflicts and tensions of disagreements in a community and our inability to agree, like I don't know who you are or I don't believe in who, who you are and I believe that you have ambitions and you're trying to be this, you're trying to be that. And we have all these inner things in our life and they pray, God send revival. And we're saying yes 
with our words, but we're saying no in our heart. If somebody else would pray it, I would agree. How many of us know God wants to do an inner work inside of the church to bring a greater agreement for the purpose of empowering the prayer? That there'd be such unity among a people that it'd be like a place where he pours out oil like he did on the head of Aaron. That there would be such a unity in the church that the world would look with longing hearts to build community and friendship like the church has. To provoke jealousy. The, rea- the reality is, how many of you guys know that as, as a church, we're a community within a community? And as a community, like, I'm, I'm thankful for this building and I'm thankful that we have it. And man, I'm so honored for the tears that were shed. I'm so honored for the families that went before us, the dreams that were had for this place. But can we just be really honest for a second and say that there's literally no destiny on a building? There's none. There's no, if we pressed out the wood, you know, I could get into some science and stuff about how like matter has memory, but I'm not gonna do that for the sake. But if we squeeze out the wood, we would not get an ounce of anointing on the wood panels of this building. There'd be nothing inside of this carpet that's worth eternity. But God will rest on a people. And he dwells within a people. That you become a dwelling place and a habitation And because of that, as a community, we are a gathering place where our gathering and our worship has become a sanctuary. It's become a tabernacle. It's become a place of encounter. The the hunger of the world is longing to know and experience God. How many of us know they should be able to experience him in the church? That there should be a people so unified, such a place of commanded blessing and an agreement that every time they gather, if anyone walks in, they will encounter the presence of a living God. They will encounter the atmosphere of the kingdom like they've never known before. Out of this world, out of their normal culture, out of anything they've ever experienced, they come to the gathered moments of the church, they get God. How many of you guys know that what we're fighting for in this room relationally is that we could be a dwelling place where God commands his blessing, oil gets poured out, and every time we gather, there's an open heaven and we can invite the world to come and see. Come on. We want to invite the world. Come and see. Come and see the goodness of God. Come and see the kindness of the Lord. Come and see. Come and feel and encounter the presence of God. Come and hear his voice. Whoever walks in, I don't care what you've come in, come and see the goodness of God. The church should be that. But I'm telling you right now, it's gonna be really hard to steward a revival presence of God in a place where the people don't get along. Uh, here, here's what I believe. I believe the health of the church like, is... I could probably go in a lot of directions. I want to focus on one thing. I think the beginning of like unhealthy things relationally in the church begins with bad friendship choices in church. Yeah, there's no bad friendship choices in church. Oh yeah, there is. It says in 1 Corinthians um, 15.33, it says, bad company corrupts good morals. And then it says this, because they are not conscious of God. Now, this is not a matter of saved and not saved. This is a matter of who protects my righteousness and who is conscious of godliness. And not everyone that claims salvation is God conscious or protects my righteousness. 
Okay, I'm going to say some crazy stuff. You guys, you guys all right? All right. One of the most powerful decisions that we can make in our life as believers is who are we going to make a powerful alliance with? Here's the thing is, is that there are things that I'm strong in and things that I'm weak in. There are things that I'm weak in and things that I'm strong in. There's things that can tempt me and there's things that I have no temptation for whatsoever. And, and because of that, and everybody's coming in with all kinds of like processes, right? How many of you guys know that there are people in certain places of their process that would not be good for me to make a powerful alliance with? Because in their process, they would not have the ability with the consciousness of God to fight for my heart. But they may become a bait that leads to my offense or my sin. All right. The, the question is, is, who am I inviting to have real estate in our decision make, in my decision making? Who gets permission to in, impact my emotional condition? You know, I, 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 have, I have no issue with, with gossip. That is not my thing, right? But how many of you guys know, I mean, like, it's, the church is famous for it, right? And, and, and the reality is, is um, you could have somebody who is, um, struggles with gossip. And if you also struggle with gossip, that could be a place where because of the own meekness of your own process, when one is gossiping, the other may not have the strength to hold the other accountable for it. All of a sudden, that choice to find a safe harboring for gossip with a friend when no one speaks to the other, holds the other, each other accountable, all of a sudden becomes a bad company, corrupts good morals. Is that person not fit for the church? No, it was just a really bad choice. Are you guys hearing me? The reality is that in a church community, there's going to be acquaintances, friends, there's going to be good friends, and there's going to be covenantal friends. These are not cliques. These are powerful alliances. They are little pockets of places where God wants to pour his spirit on a relational group of people that really are connecting in a deep place. They are not a clique. They are a powerful group of people that have made a choice to go deep in relationship with each other. And because of that, we have the opportunity to make the choices of who are we going to align ourselves to? Are we going to align ourselves with somebody who, um, you know, if I say, hey, I got the symptom in my body and they go, hey, you know what? That's probably cancer. That's probably not the right friend for you. <laughs> but if you say like, hey, I got this thing in my body, he has someone that comes along and say, you know what? Uh, there's, there's a God who heals, uh, heals all. Let's just pray for it right now, right? That's probably the friendship that I need to really build in my life. My, my point being is, who are you going to make relational alliances with? Because these people, uh, someone who struggles with gossip, that's not a big deal. The person who struggles with gossip, gossip should probably be my friend. They should probably get close to me because in their own knowledge of their own process, they need to make a powerful relationship with somebody that will not endorse gossip, but call it out of them every single time. Do you see how the health of relationship and community of the church begins with the alliances that you're going to create within the church and the decisions that you make of who can I surround myself that specifically and uniquely cause me to grow? Are we all right? God wants to utilize the relationships we build in the church to become a witness to the goodness of the Lord and his inner working process in our life to be demonstrations of the glory of God outside of these four walls. Here's the second arena of relationship that God wants to use for his glory. You ready? The second relationship that God wants to use for his glory is, is among our family, friends, and those who don't know the Lord yet. 
right? Um, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have done to you. And another place it says, and love your neighbors as yourself. The, the, the powerful key um, to relationships that reveal the gospel is empathy. Everyone say empathy. What Jesus provides right here is two statements of empathy or some would call it compassion. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Love your neighbor as yourself. These two invitations saying, how do you relate to the world? Oh, you go into the arena of their life and experiences and you take ownership of what they're experiencing and then you behave unto them as you would have unto you. Empathy is... Uh, the ability to engage someone relationally with understanding of their experience and their emotions. How many of you know Jesus is the perfect example of empathy? God became man, dwelled among us, experienced every matter of pain, temptation, and sin in his life. And he overcame so that when he went to the cross, he would not be an impure offering that was completely unrelated to your life, but he would carry all of the weight that you walked through of human existence and he would carry it to the cross and his righteousness would be imputed onto your life. Jesus' ministry is a ministry of empathy. There's a difference though between worldly empathy and godly empathy. Are we all right? Worldly empathy responds to a person based on my past experience of how others responded to me. But godly empathy responds with how did God respond to me? Amen. The wisdom of the world will fall short of supernatural empathy and compassion. Uh, Jesus said, forgive as you have been forgiven. If someone hits you in the cheek, give them the other as well. If someone asks you for a shirt, give them your tunic as well. Um, we cannot define forgiveness, mercy, and love through the lens of our human experience. We have to define uh, forgiveness, mercy, and love from the lens of the cross. You, you, you would, you'd be amazed how, I, I, how much of the world and the church has an expiration date on forgiveness and mercy and kindness how all of a sudden there's a certain sin that we treat differently than other sins. Like this is forgivable, that's not forgivable. You can do this, but you can't get away with this. You can do this a certain amount of times, but at a certain point, our grace will run out. How many of us know the grace and the mercy of God has never run out for you and it never will? It is a well that will never run dry. His mercy will be new every morning. How many of us know that when somebody falls into sin, we will restore them back to a measure of their calling, but we will never put them back to a place of honor because we will live in fear that if we put them back into a place of honor, that they would fall again. How many of us know that the mercy of God is new every morning? He separates your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And that means that when you walk with God, you have no scarlet letter. That when he restores you, he does not restore you to partiality. He restores you to the fullness of the call of God on your life. Why is the church not get this? Why do we not understand that there is no ends to the mercy of God? Does that mean that there's no wisdom and that we just throw up? No, it doesn't mean at all. But it means that we champion people to the fullness of restoration and we create vision in our hearts for full restoration of their life, not just partial. And when we look at the world, we do not build relationship with the world based upon their, their extent of the righteousness that they're accomplishing in their life without the Holy Spirit. We engage the world with understanding that they do not know God. 
I, you, we could get so angry at people that lead movements that are so antichrist. And we could get angry at politicians for believing in things that are antichrist. We could get so angry at movements and culture and society. But the reality is that they're trying to accomplish righteousness without the Holy Spirit. And the only proper response is empathy and understanding that they do not have the spirit of truth dwelling inside of them and ministering to their heart truth. We're holding them accountable to a measure that they don't have access to. And the appropriate response is mercy. We'll triumph over judgment. Don't you know it's the kindness of God that will lead you to repentance? The key to relationships and building relationships with family and friends in the world is to bring a godly empathy to the world. And Jesus stood with the man on the cross and he invited him into paradise. How much more do we engage the world and let them know the goodness of God and invite them into paradise? Today you will be with me in eternity. Come on. The reality is, is the world's, uh, the world's view of God will probably be shaped by their interactions with us. For some that's good news and for some that's really not good news. But we have to treat the world through a manner of love and grace that we experience through Jesus that will reveal the Father to the world around us. Holy Spirit's doing a work in me, but he's come upon me to demonstrate the inner work that he's accomplishing in my relationships. No one person is more deserving of empathy than another. Empathy doesn't pick sides. I know it feels like being a good friend to pick a side, but you're no one's friend when you pick a side the only side that you can pick is the side of healing, restoration, and mercy. Man, I know divorce can be really messy and people, there's often somebody who's severely at fault. There's no side in divorce, only the side of healing, restoration, and mercy. And if it's not restoring a marriage, it's restoring the hearts of a marriage, restoring the people that were engaged in it. God wants to heal and he wants to restore. There's no sides in empathy. You know, often in a crisis, there's an abused and abuser, but empathy is able to understand and restore all. Empathy doesn't carry someone else's pain and offense. It only understands it long enough to heal it and restore it. Empathy doesn't agree with anger. It feels it, feels it and searches for a godly response. Come on, how many of you guys know that like, it's so easy that when we go through pain or difficulty, empathy doesn't take on the offense and go, I'm with you. Oh man, this is so bad and so evil. Urgh, let's get angry together. Empathy doesn't engage the spirit of the pain, but it feels it, experiences it with the, with the vision to bring it to wholeness. Empathy identifies with pain behind sin. It's not concerned with being right, it's concerned with healing. Man, the church has got to get out of an obsession with being right and has got to get into the obsession, obsession with bringing people into wholeness. There's no moral high ground. Jesus already claimed that one. There's no more fight over moral high ground. The fight is now, can we bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom and reveal the goodness of God to the world around us? Empathy sees from the interest of the broken. Sometimes wisdom demands for boundaries. I get it. But empathy allows us to see wisdom not only uh, for the healed, but also for the broken. Empathy seeks safety for all. 
Empathy doesn't punish, empathy empowers. Empathy has vision for the future. Empathy sees goodness past the veil of shame. Even consequences of poor decisions may result in empowering opportunities. You know, one of the things that I wanna encourage you in is to be a people that are a solution-minded people. That in the midst of every crisis and difficulty, that you are a messenger of hope, seeing an opportunity to, opportunity to turn a difficulty into a breakthrough. Uh, my wife told me this incredible thing that our mind, if our mind believes that there's no solution, it will stop looking for one. That is a clinical fact. That if your mind believes that there's no solution, it will stop looking for one. We have to keep telling the world that there is a solution to their pain and it's Jesus. That there is a solution. That there's a hopelessness in the world. We have to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be witnesses of the finished work of the cross and what he's done in our life to the world around us. I was asked this question about confrontation. I was talking to leaders in Reading and, and at the School of Ministry, and they asked this question um, in this little Q&A session. They said, hey, um, when is the right time to confront somebody? And I said, confrontation is entirely legal when, con when the confrontation is motivated by a vision for their breakthrough. But confrontation will always be illegal if the point of the confrontation is to protect myself. What does that mean? That means my, my, my confrontation has to be motivated by the, by, by the uh, vision of their discipleship, their victory, and who they are, their identity. But if the whole thing is to build walls around myself and protect myself from them, then I do not actually have an eye to see what God sees about them and who they are, and I'm not calling out of them. The point being is that God wants to show up. Your, your identity is to commune with God. But your assignment is to become a witness to the world around you. That this would be a gathered moment, the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we leave this place, we'd be scattered servants that would go into the ends of the world, making Jesus visible wherever we go. There's no escape to this call and this assignment. There, there is no other assignment you're called to. This is the assignment, is to make Jesus visible to a world that doesn't know him. You are witnesses. The gospel of Jesus Christ, demonstrate it to friends and to families. What has God done inside of you? It's time to demonstrate it to the world. I, I say all of this, and I've kind of like laid this foundation, this, this, I've laid this work because um, over the past few weeks, God has been speaking to me. Did you get one of these cards on your way in? Yeah. Oh, no. Did you, did you not get one? Who didn't get one? Uh, no, they didn't. <laughs> Holy cow. Guys, I'm so sorry. We failed. Um, on your way out, I'm going to have ushers at the door, greeters at the door. I'm going to ask you to get one of these cards on your way out. On this card, um, we're going to do something that I, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, I've, I haven't done as a pastor in 18 years of ministry. I've never felt led. I'm only doing this out of obedience to the Lord. This is going to be our fleece that we lay out before God saying, God, you said you would do something, so do it. And... Um, this card, I call it Take Five card, something that I picked up years and years because I was a teenager from England. This church did this and it moved my heart and the testimonies were incredible. And, um, but we're gonna partner something with it. And on this card, you're gonna have three places where names can be written. You're gonna get it on your way out. They're gonna have ushers um, that are gonna be standing there. Tim, if you could make sure that there are people standing at the doors with those cards. And we're gonna write names on here, friends and family that we feel like God's built relationship with in our life that do not know the Lord. 
And how many of you guys know that everything God does begins in prayer? And so we're gonna start by praying for friends and family. We're gonna do this and we're gonna take five minutes every day to pray for friends and family. Put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, put it on, put it on a mirror, and we're gonna take time to pray and for their salvation that they would come to saving knowledge of Jesus. We're also gonna pray that God would give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them, okay? We're gonna do this as a church for the next couple of weeks. We're gonna take time at the end of the service or in the middle of the service, and we're gonna pray over those names. So keep them on you. And then what we're going to do is God began to speak to me about this Christmas season. And, um, and I heard the phrase, God is here. And, um, and, and I kept hearing that over and over and over. And I felt like oh, I'm gonna do a three-week series, uh, December 4th, 11th, and 18th. And we are going to, um, in front of the whole church, we are, we, are, uh, we are going to do a sermon series called God is Here. And it's gonna be a testimony-based sermon series where we're gonna have people with testimonies of what God has accomplished in their life, coming out of horrific pain, difficulty, strife, uh, addiction, whatever it may be, and how God has set captives free. He's written new names. He's worked liberty and freedom. He's taken the orphan and put them into families. And we're gonna share those testimonies and we're gonna teach the gospel, clear demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ for three weeks leading up to Christmas. And I wanna ask you, I've never done this in 18 years, but I wanna ask you to intentionally invite family and friends to hear the preaching of the gospel. I know that the 90% of our ministry is gonna be out of these doors, in relationship, over kitchen tables, at workplaces, side by side, but there is room for us to invite people to the gathered moment and say, here is God, God is here, come and see. Come and see, come and see God, come and see his goodness. And we're gonna have a come and see week. So I'm gonna ask you to pray and then invite. Is that all right? I believe it's gonna be a powerful moment of us seeing people come into the kingdom. I really believe that. I believe that we're standing on the hinge of the greatest harvest the world's ever seen. And that, the, that I, I believe the landscape of difficulty and hardship and everything the past few years have brought has brought a softening of the heart that is longing for the gospel message. And we have to create places, unashamedly create places for them to hear it. Is that all right? All right, let's stand together. We're gonna pray.